2: Hello, hello. Get ready for another episode of Fat Mascara. I'm Jess. I'm still Jen. Still Jen. It's me. After all this time. Mm -hmm. What do we got this week? Okay, so
1: some topics for you. Tipping at the hair salon. Why do we still not have this figured out? We're going (laughs) to dig into it and try and figure it out. Then, we alluded to this like months ago, we finally have the goods. Who is Dr. Bronner? Why does he make soap? What's the story behind that brand? And then lastly, I got Jess to tell, you guys have been asking about it, I got her to share the story of the boob reductions, plural. Z- z- yeah, z- so we're going to talk z- about z- breast, z- reductions. Z- breast
2: reductions. Who is our guest? We're going to be talking a little bit about pop culture, a little bit about politics, and of course, beauty. So who better to have a seat at the table than the one and only Phil Picardi of Teen Vogue and Allure?
1: P.F. Picardi in the house. P.P. Double P. Not from Bacardi Rum. Different family. Bacardi. Exactly. Bacardi. Jess, I have this thing. I'm not really an awkward person. I just barrel through life. Nothing gets me more awkward than tipping people. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And so I'm a beauty editor, right? You'd think I would understand how to tip in the beauty world. I still get confused When you get your bill at the hair salon and then like eight different people touched your head, do all of them get money? Is it okay to do it in cash? So I feel like we need to dig into this discussion and find out what each of us does to help the listeners. Mm -hmm. Do you have a problem with tipping or you have this all figured out?
2: No, I feel like at the end of every like haircut, it's like without fail, I'm wandering around the salon at the end, like waving cash at like strangers. Like was it it you? Oh no no no! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Where's Joanne? Where's Joanne? <laughs> Joanne's on break? Oh oh okay. Wait, um, you make a point of like giving it to them directly. I'm like the envelope girl. Well, like sometimes I don't know who the person who like touched my hair for. So you're was? just
1: looking for the face that you remember. Yeah,
2: it's, it's like if there is an envelope for like the main person, sure. But then there's like the cast of characters. Yes. It's like there's a. It's like a whole scene. It is. So, You're literally just giving money away. All right.
1: I am, but I, what I do is I like get the little envelopes and then they usually have notes up at the front desk like who worked on you. Oh, so my that's, that's polite of them. Yes. Yeah, so then I write all their names on. But then I used to not put my own name on it and then I'd put it in a little thing. I'd be like, well, how will they know it's from me? So then I was like writing cards to them on the front. I'd be like, to Megan, XOXO, Jen, and then like stick right. it in the thing. Anyway, so I'm the envelope girl now. Uh, Like, they don't, I don't need to have like a a moment with them to like give the money, you know? (laughs) Not
2: like a meaningful hand. Yeah, no, they just want my cash. (laughs) Okay, well, Um, I've actually done a little homework on this because this has been so anxiety. What do the salon
1: people want us to do?
2: So, I talked to my guy, Wes Sharpton. He's over at Hair Story. You know, Wes. Mm -hmm. And he told me, taping is always a tricky subject. It sounds like. The hair squad isn't even totally... There are no hard, fast rules on this. Right. Basically, he said that the whole situation is a little weird. You know, sometimes we develop deep relationships with our hairstylists. So, like, it's it's kind of awkward for them, too. But basically, 20% is usually the standard. There is no normal, but it's like that is like a good... He's okay. not saying you better give 20% what, of your dick. What about like, the salon owner
1: business? Cuz I often hear if you the person who cuts or colors your hair also owns the salon, you do not have to tip. I've heard that too.
2: I grew up with that with that rule like don't by all means do not tip the owner uh, well, like someone's at a not, point do not, not tip to the to owner to give money.
1: I'm not going to like complain about <laughs> exactly. it. I'll be like, "Yep, great great. I like that rule. That's a good rule." So
2: he so he said I asked him that. He said the owner question is a great one. It all depends. This is probably what? more of a New, York, New York-y New answer. Because he probably owns
1: a salon, so he's no. like, here's <laughs> a tip.
2: <laughs> no, he said, I thought this was great. He goes, if the owner has three salons you know, cost $250 and a product line that was just bought by Target, it's probably okay not to tip him or or her. But most owners of a hair salon are not that big and like they're, you know, they just wanted to have like something small and great in the world. Basically, they're just like small business owners and they're hustling and most of the times they take their own, their their earnings and put it back into the business to keep it running. So basically they're not like made in the shade. But they don't have to pay rent on a chair
1: like their employees, so they sort of do make more money anyway, right? Well,
2: they, he said they sh- they have to make sure that they get the rent paid, the electricity yeah. bill paid. They need to make sure their owners their their employees are happy. Like they're working just as hard I know, as they are not too. Yeah, so I would definitely tip them. One other thing, Same thing he... 20%, mm-hmm. and oh, one other thing that he that um Wes said is that like for assistants who help with the shampooing or the blow-drying, tip them in New York at least around $5 to $10. Okay, so that's funny cuz I feel cheap in New
1: York giving $5 to $10. Because sometimes that person has their hands on my head way more time than like the lead person. Like with the gloss at the sink, they do the gloss, the shampoo, the other thing, and then the blow dry. They're doing way more work than the person that painted the stuff on. You know.
2: You know what I would ask, and what? you know, Wes, this is not Wes's advice, but I actually spoke to another hairstylist mm-hmm. about a year ago about this. He told me that um, you know a lot of like the fancier salons, yeah. like you know the hundred fifty plus salons, uh, hundred fifty dollars plus salons. That the stylists have to tip out to oh. their assistants. Not sure if that really is true across the board. But you could ask at the front desk: Do they get tipped out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same like you would at a restaurant to make sure that like everybody's exactly. getting the love. Exactly. And then I might even, you know, I would be so bold as to like if the the main stylist isn't around, be like, oh my god, like so what it has to work here? Do they tip out? Because if the assistant says no, like then you can kind of oh. gauge and make your own decision. Yeah. Um, I don't think there are hard, fast rules, but I do think that, like, the 20% thing is a good gauge, you know, and I I think – you know, this was some some useful information.
1: One last question. Sure. I know girls in New York or women who will spend, like, their hair color is like $800.
2: That's insane. $800? Easily. With are if you for real? If you're,
1: like, a double-processed blonde with highlights and you're in there or you're going platinum and you're at a fancy salon in New York, so do you really have to give 20% of, like, a big number?
2: I think that if you are spending that much on, <laughs> on your hair, you can then, avoid. like... And you're being stiff with the, like, stingy very with the point. tip, like, you can go screw yourself. You're Very good point. All right, so
1: money, advice from Jen and Jess. And some style.
0: Please.
1: Okay, so Dr. Bronner's Soap Company has come up a couple times on the podcast. I remember the first time I was introduced to it, I was... I was doing, like, a some backpacking trip, and you needed a biodegradable soap, and I didn't even know what that was, and someone introduced me, to Dr. Bronner's, since become a favorite of mine. Um, but I don't know much about the story,
2: so I feel like this is Jess's book report corner.
1: We're going old school. I was like, can you look into it? And Jess got all the facts.
2: So um, I brought my book report. It has a um, construction paper... Uh, there's a diorama. Yeah, there's a diorama, and I've got those weird little clippy things that have two things that spring out at the back. I think they're called paper fasteners. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah, like paper the, fasteners. Yeah, I've always called them bu- th- butterflies. I call them something weird. Oh my god! Remember when you made book reports? Yeah, I'd make them on like Sunday night at ten thirty, and be like, "Mom, don't be, don't be mad, but <laughs> I think I have a book report on Hawaii due tomorrow." <laughs> Literally happened <laughs> like once every marking hey, you period. You always get the state. So she yeah. didn't get the state. She got the beauty company. Okay. Just so Dr. Purport. Bronner. So I'm gonna What did you learn? I'm gonna be really real here really real here. Everything I'm telling you, I lifted from the Mark Marin podcast. So if you don't listen to Mark Marin, he's amazing. WTF with Mark Marin. I lifted from an interview he did two years ago with David Bronner, who is oh. um the, the grandson of Dr. Bronner. So this is a primary
1: source that we call magazines. This isn't Wikipedia, people. You're coming to us for real news. This is not fake but, news. But they, uh,
2: this is actually a secondary source. Mark was the primary true, source, so true. I'm ripping off. Yeah, this would not fly past fact-checking. Okay. All right, but it's not so, fake news, it's real news. Exactly. What did you learn? So this was really interesting. So the original Dr. Bronner like, factory, or the original like Dr. Bronner, Emanuel, um, the he was like part of like a, a german jewish soap maker family it was a family business but then like he pieced out and moved to america and the original soap making like fam like the the business not the liquid soap that you and i use today so like not the deal. yeah do not misunderstand this at all but the original business was taken over by the nazis oh and this is crazy and David Bronner said this on WTF with Mark Maron. He said the G- the German Historical so- Society did some research and found a letter from the Nazi that got the factory, and it was to their customer base, and said, "Rest assured that the company has been Aryanized." <gasps> but like okay. that's that's history. Now there's the new nah. Dr. Bronner's like factory owned by neo Nazis. No, just just <laughs> no, 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 no. no. So now, okay. So then like he starts his, like, you know, Emmanuel Bronner is in America. He starts his company. And on I don't know if you guys have ever seen the label. It's very dense with text. You guys know this. You, you see it in like Whole Foods and everything. It's like 12 bucks for this massive bottle of liquid soap and there's a lot of political commentary on it, and it's got some spiritual stuff on it. One of the things that it says on it, I mean, I'm, like, it's really dense with text, is if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And when I am for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? That's Hillel, like the Jewish like prophet. Oh. Like he's really spiritual. Is so, he proselytizing in the shower? He's proselytizing, did I say that right? Mm. Through soap. Was that his original plan? Well, his um, grandson, David, said that he felt like that through the label, he could talk about spirituality. This guy was getting really heavy through in soap.
1: A, in an intimate moment. You're naked. I'm ready to
2: you know, cl- accept I, the Lord. <laughs> yes. And honestly, you're cleansing yourself. I, oh. I just thought of that. that David didn't oh, say that. You're deep, cleansing yes. yourself. I know. I'm going to take it to a new, le- new level. Third fun fact. He was a really intense guy. He got thrown into an insane, insane asylum in Chicago. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, yes, this yeah, Emmanuel, and he escaped, and then he later blamed the shock treatments for his declining eyesight and blindness. Jeez, this is this like is a yeah, dark. This, I know, okay, I know, I know. But then, okay, let's move on. He also wouldn't engage or sell with people, sell to like um, retailers whose beliefs didn't align with his. Like, this is not like the kind of cool commercial. Like, what are those beliefs? Not, not the Jewish stuff. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. The like,
1: save the earth. Don't yes, use yes, synthetics, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. No synthetic fragrance.
2: Exactly. He was a real like I think and now I get here I'm editorializing. This is not anything that David said, but he like was very much I think like um a pioneer of brands like Burt's Bees or like Yeah. yeah. This I mean, was yeah. back in like the whenever. 60s. I mean, actually mm-hmm. uh, Burt's Bees, I don't know how old it is, but I know it's very old. Um but like he was very much like the eco hip, before you know. Before his time it seems. Very before his time. Um, he just wouldn't sell to people who, like, weren't down with his beliefs at all. He was, okay. like, not a commercial dude. Um, and today, even the brand who is run by his family, they've said no to Walmart twice. They're, own- they're still independently owned. They're still independently which owned. Which is a big
1: deal, like, in the beauty world.
2: Yep. And now they are, like, one of the biggest, like, eco, but they're still, like, one of these big, like, eco companies. Yeah. And Wait, um- I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. here. Was Emmanuel Bronner a doctor? Was he a doctor?
1: Wasn't that the original question we wanted to do this whole thing about? Oh, I don't
2: know. So we still really, don't have an answer. I got really deep in the weeds. Yeah, well, no, that's fascinating. And, it's used history, to like, and, and they, th- they think it can like used to be used to clean anything, like clean your clothes. Yeah, Castile clean your, soap, like, absolutely. Everything. Um, but it was one of like the first liquid soaps, though.
1: Yes, and vegetable-based, which back then, you know, tallow it and whatever could come from... Um, like, Fat peas from the and stuff like that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a big deal. And it's biodegradable. I guess that's another yeah. selling point. So if it gets into like, you're showering outside, not a big Oh, it's not going to be a big exactly. deal for the plants and all that. I mean, that's, but that's not nearly as fascinating as everything you just it's uncovered. A, I
2: mean, it's got a wild, dark spiritual
1: history. And by, you know, 17 episodes from now, we're going to find out if he's a doctor. Still
2: working on I'll, that. I'll, I'll look into it.
1: Okay. Let me look into it. So for your book report, do you want to grade?
2: No. I'm more of a a creative spirit I kind of like make my own grades It's that kind of like Montessori Like you know (laughs) Free to be you and me (laughs) You pass Yay (laughs) Treat time treat time Butterfly in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look It's in a book
1: A reading rainbow So that was Jess's book report now she's going to the guidance counselor to see the school psychologist. I'm sorry. No, that we we really wanted to talk on on the podcast. We've talked about plastic surgery. We've talked about boobs. We want to talk about breast reduction, and you have some firsthand experience with this. I do. And it was weird that we mentioned it and didn't actually talk about it. I know. I feel like
2: I dropped like a a bomb and then like walked away like a few months ago, and I got a lot of DMs on Instagram, and I got some emails too, be like, Jess, tell us about the breast reduction story. I need to know more. Like people were writing to either tell me that they had experiences with my plastic surgeon positive oh, uh-huh. or like that they were getting a breast reduction or thinking about it or, or had done. Um, so when obviously
1: you feel comfortable sharing, yeah. when
2: did you get a breast reduction? So I got, a and breast, why? I got, well, why I got, I got a breast reduction. Well, first I'll say you when I got it. So I got my first one and we'll get to the second one in a second, but we, I got my first one when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it because honestly I had really big boobs And I didn't want them. It's as simple as that. I didn't have like, oh, the back pain. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. No, it was just like.
1: Can we talk talk cup size?
2: You know, I don't know really like what my cup size was because I was wearing the wrong bra for years because I was in like, you know how some people have like that kind of denial. Like, let's say they're a size eight. I mean, they are. Let's say they're like a twelve, and they want to believe that they're an eight, so they keep on jamming themselves in the eight pants. Were you jamming yourself into double D's? I was jamming myself into a D, but I was definitely like a double or a triple D, which is like because a year it's and like a half now
1: or whatever they do. Yeah, it. yeah. And
2: because it's like a mental block, mm. or like you ref- or you refuse to buy the size up, you know, because you just don't want to be that size. Right. So I, you know, I had I, I had big boobs really early. And that's not a pleasant experience for yeah. like a younger girl. So it was like I, it was like I had this really bad association with them. People be like, oh no, embrace yourself, you know, like love yourself. I think that's great. That kind of messaging is really out there right now for teens. Um, I work at Teen Vogue, and I, I'm not plugging the place I work at. But like, if there was that kind of messaging when, like, the the people that you know, the models we shoot at Teen Vogue, yeah, the. Just the the tone more all of acceptance the, more acceptance, oh, I would have killed literally all I had was like I mean, yeah, I had sassy magazine, which was amazing, but outside of that it was like the Delias catalog, and like I can't fit into anything, you yeah. know what I mean, yeah, so um it was really like I felt super weird so. I, it wasn't so much like the pain, like the physical pain. No, it was like I want this uncomfortable shit. Comfortable in your body. Exactly. So, so you
1: got a breast reduction at twenty.
2: Twenty. But it took like three years to lo- to get the insurance to cover it. And honestly I don't think they would cover it again. Like it was really Right. It was really hard. Which
1: and you probably would have if you were older and had the money cosmetically you would have done it just for cosmetic well, reasons.
2: Yeah, so I so I got it done. It was yeah. amazing. I literally like was like doing backflips like the day after I I mean not literally, like but yeah. I was so happy. And um it's funny, I have a great stat that um was completely unsurprising to me, but Um, Breast reductions are one of like the best, like according to the American Academy of Plastic Surgery, Mm -hmm. they have, it has like one of the highest, um, 90% of women rated their cosmetic outcomes as good or very good after having a breast reduction, like really super high success rate. Right.
1: Because that's really something... Like,
2: satisfactionary. I'm sorry. And I also think it's something you
1: don't do on a whim. You really think about, so you're going to be, you know, you're going to be happy with your results. Mm-hmm. However, this brings us to the second part of the story, which is, you must have been happier with your results, but you mentioned you had another breast reduction. Right. Is that because that... What size did you go down to the first time? A
2: C. Okay. But it was like a you big were like, C. R-
1: okay. So then you wanted them smaller?
2: No. So, um, this is crazy. Like, it sounds like how... Like, this is just so bizarre but it happens to a very small percentage of women and I'm one of the lucky ones oh god what happened people sometimes people's boobs can grow back and it they didn't grow back to the size that they were but they did grow back and it wasn't overnight this is overnight. without, like gaining a lot of weight no, or anything like that I actually was you're like a salamander you like yeah. The, the, yeah. your boobs grew back exactly yeah um how long did that take when uh, until I was like twenty, twenty seven, 27. And So it over the really course of subtle. like five
1: years, they just kept growing and growing again.
2: Yeah. And I, like I had two years of like really small boobs and like not even having to wear a bra. I remember like wearing like a cam, like, like a little CK camisole. Like it was yeah. all these things like I'd imagine like in my teenage years, like wanting to wear like a tank top without like a thick holster bra, you know? Yeah. Like I was wearing like all these like silly tops and like literally not having to wear a bra. And then suddenly it was like, oh, okay. You know, like, and then- At what point did you realize, oh my God, they grew back. It's so funny, I'll never forget. I went to um, Marks & Spencer in England, in London, and I remember they, they're they very famous for their, like, lingerie. They have a great, like, underwear, great bras, and they were, like, very proud of their bra-fitting services. And I remember going, because I was like, I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel sloppy, and I felt kind of, like, fat. And I was like, I think I need a new bra. And I remember the woman, like, taking my measurements, and she was like... Oh, like you're a, you know, blah, 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 like whatever. It was like English sizes, so it was yeah. a little different. She's like, blah, blah, blah whatever, you're like, blah, 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 love. And she walked out with the tape measure, and I was like, do it again in my head. I was like, are you joking? Like you were back to, I w- yeah, almost back to mm-hmm. the size But you were I in knew high that they were like big. Well, I knew. You, that's why you went
1: and got a fitting, because yeah, you're cause like, something's e- up.
2: Exactly. So um, I went back home. At the time, I was living over there. Mm-hmm. And I went back home and I saw my surgeon. The same person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Pecorero, Dr. Dr. Michael Pecorero in Brick, New Jersey. He's, in, he's incredible. And he was like, yeah. And he, we looked at old pictures. He oh, still had my old wow, pictures. Yeah. I literally screamed. They weren't as bad as my old pictures, but they weren't. it wasn't great. And we, we did it. He agreed. It. They looked yeah. different. They yeah, grew we, back. Yeah. And we did, we did it again. Same kind of surgery. Yeah. But they actually, the advances, they've been much better advances. Like they do a different, a much smaller scar. Okay. And we just did it again. And he said, yes, yeah, that this happens to very few people, but it can happen. And so now you're
1: back to the C size that you wanted. Yeah. I mean,
2: but yeah, I, but I know that like, you know, I'm much older now. Like I know that my body is going to change. Like right. women's bodies change and I can never like preserve oh, my 22 year old boobies, you know, like, but it happens, but I'm still happy. I got it. This I'm happy about it the second time. I think when you, it's almost like, I guess, if somebody was very heavy at one point and then they get to a certain size, they never want to see themselves as that heavy person again. It's more of a psychological mm-hmm. thing, but it's, I recommend like when people say, I think I'm getting a, I want to get a breast reduction. Like I paid for my second one, like in cash, like I right. paid, like insurance was not going to yeah. pay for that. Um, and are you think 20 was a good age? Were you ready at that? Absolutely. But I yeah. wish I could. I wish that if I could have gotten it done at 16, yeah. I would have. But I, I was still growing. That's crazy. Oh, here's why. If anyone's like, wait a second, I don't understand how they grew it back. Your body. I did a story on this for Cosmo and I spoke to several people, including my surgeon. It's a phenomenon, but it's like because your breast tissue is like it has hormones in it. It's like. If you take away some of that tissue, some women's bodies respond to like, oh, no, someone took away that like breast tissue. I'm going to make more.
1: Oh, so you literally made more of the cells that are yes. then getting filled up with the fat. Like, yeah. It's not yeah.
2: like, oh, I'm going like, to it's not like fat from like cookies and donuts. It's like your body ho- a hormonal
1: type of mm-hmm. tissue.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. It's times. wild. But um, yeah, if anyone's thinking about like making getting a breast reduction, I don't think of it as like cosmetic surgery. Like, oh, I'm going to get no like glam i, I think it, it's a positive surgery if, if if you felt if you feel like upset with tell us yeah your... and,
1: or email us email yeah
2: us, i'm, info I'm, if I'm quite mascara. open about it clearly yeah um,
1: thanks for sharing jess yes. no, th- you're dismissed from a Thank school you. psychologist's office summer is fast approaching which means it's shapewear season love that. But once I stuck with the habit, I really noticed a difference in my skin. I am not the only one in a clinical study taking hyacera for 90 days led to a 3.6 time reduction in crow's feet wrinkles as compared to placebo. Lately, I have been very into the five-minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark-Shiflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head-to-toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously, there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on alanmoves.com, but I just had to share that one with you.
2: Are here with Phil Picardi, Phil Philip.
0: You can call me Phil.
2: You can call you can call me Phil. He is the digital editor of Allure and Teen Vogue, and he started out as a beauty editor, just like us. And I have to say, he's also my colleague. <laughs> I get to see Phil every day. Phil, thank you so much for coming.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I have to say. I need to know how you would describe your job to somebody who's not in media or the beauty industry. Because when I think of you, I think of like, he's, you know, a beauty genius. He runs Allure. He runs Teen Vogue. He's a political activist. Like, you're so many things. How do you describe yourself?
0: Oh, that's a good question. So the Allure thing obviously is new, right? Because I only started there around two weeks ago. Um, but yeah, so I'm the digital editorial director of both Allure and Teen Vogue, which is really exciting. Um, at Teen Vogue, um, you know the site has grown a lot in its focus from just being a beauty and fashion destination to obviously, as you as you hinted at. Uh, fully encompassing politics and wellness and reproductive justice, which is really important to us. Um, and at Allure, you know, we're really excited to bring more people to the conversation about beauty and make it a more uh, inclusive environment for talking about beauty. Um, and I control, or I oversee, I should say. I control,
1: he's
2: the lord <laughs> controller. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, no, Freudian slip. Yeah.
0: No. Total Freudian slip. So no, I'm responsible for yes. uh, all of the editorial content that appears on both websites, uh, the social strategies and then um, also video. Um, so I have a wonderful staff on both teams who I work really, really closely with. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I do in, in a nutshell. It's a lot. Um, it's, it's a it's, big nutshell. It's a lot. Yes, it's a big nutshell.
2: And when you, you know, became, once you were sort of, you know, knighted a male a beauty editor, you were one of, you know, I can say this just from memory, and I'm sure, you know, Jen can agree, you were one of the first male beauty editors. There, there really are not a ton. So what sort of response did you get from other beauty editors and just like the industry at large or, and readers?
0: Um, I've always felt super accepted and in a way, you know, like again, like male privilege definitely plays its, plays its role when you're working in a female dominated industry because you are the only man in a lot of the rooms and that plays, you know, plays to your advantage at some point. I think I'm comfortable saying that. How so? Well, because you automatic people are automatically giving attention to you because you're the outlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and so whether that's good or bad, you know, attention, I I definitely think that there was something to be said for that. And I think it's important also to, to check my privilege in, in that place. Um, but honestly, the reception from the industry was nothing but warm. and I don't think it's that unusual like you know serge normand and and Frederick and you know any of these other luminaries garen uh, in the in the beauty industry, a lot of them are men, Oquan, you know so it's but not, not
2: as an editor, not as not a as critic. I mean, I think it's fair to say there aren't too many critics who are editors so there's it's a it's a funny position, but mm-hmm. you are you do occupy a very interesting space or you did. so yeah. you know, did you ever find there were any disadvantages?
0: Yeah. Like, I, I, so when I look at a lot of the boys who are coming up in the space now, and I, I also look at this phenomenon of boys wearing makeup and this younger generation who has fully embraced makeup, mm-hmm. I do wonder what it would be like if I were actually going to high school right now or if mm-hmm. I were in college right now and if my look would have changed. Because my, you know, wearing makeup and participating in beauty for me was, you know, to a certain extent, it was about, like, feminizing features or or what have you. But more so, it was about, like, looking like a better version of myself. Yeah. Versus now these boys, like, I will walk down the street or we'll go to the club at night and we'll see these, like, these NYU kids with, like, beat faces, full smoky eyes, Peaky, lashes, yeah. and then, like, a full beard, you know, and full, like, trade looks, like, that they're wearing and I think it's so cool. And I, I I do wonder like, and I ask my friends too, like, what if I were growing up in that time? Like, what would I have looked like yeah. now? Um, so I think it's so awesome that the space has progressed so much that. That um more and more young men and, and gender non conforming people feel comfortable playing with beauty in that way mm-hmm. as a as a mode of self expression.
1: Sure. And as that's happened, the way we're writing about beauty has changed, obviously. Um rather than me telling you, I wanna know how you've seen it change in the last couple of years. Do you think it's gotten more inclusive? Do you think it's gotten less servicey, more servicey? What what changes have you noticed?
0: I think the biggest change that we obviously have to acknowledge is that what is the role of a beauty editor today and how has the role of a beauty editor changed so what how do we coexist with people who are on YouTube and Instagram who are followed like their apostles you know mm-hmm. um and for me, what I think has been the most interesting about beauty, when I read about beauty growing up, I often felt like beauty was a really prescriptive and corrective yeah. space.
1: When I say servicey, that's sort of what I was alluding I, I to. I yeah. yeah. I don't know if our listeners got that. That's like magazine speak. <laughs> but yes, prescriptive. Very
0: exactly, good. right? So you feel like there was always you were doing something wrong that needed correcting. Um, and also that there was one way to look that was that was the way, the thing that you should strive for. Um and especially considering what mastheads used to look like and what editorial staffs used to look like in publishing, uh, that was a very exclusionary space. Mm-hmm. Um, can you
2: can you um, speak to that a little further?
0: I think that the publishing industry, especially in you know within progressive media, has made more strides recently to hire more people of color, uh, and I have also seen more queer people who are occupying spaces to to be writing for for different publications and taking up space and bylines, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important in how we cover beauty especially um, because even the fact that we're beauty editors, like that that title can be so daunting sometimes or to like, like – who
2: are you – to oh, you're a beauty right. editor. What can you tell me? You're exactly.
0: Like, or when you like – when Allure is the beauty expert, it's that's like daunting. It's like beauty. I know, that word
1: beauty just th- – Like I yes. want to be like, no, I'm the product person, <laughs> the grooming person. Exactly. Because beauty is like a –
0: Beauty is like a philosophy.
1: Right. It is it's subjective. so much more than just the word fashion. You yes, know? and it
0: means so many things to so many different people. And so I think that the way that magazines were covering beauty meant uh, – one thing to a small group of people and it was expected to then mean everything to everyone else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so I think that the internet really helped us subvert that um I see kids coming out on YouTube and then experimenting with makeup or uh, you know we'll see like transgender vloggers on YouTube who are talking about their transition experience and what they've learned mm-hmm. and offering tips to to their friends and into their fans who are watching um and i just think that to have these conversations about beauty now feels very revolutionary to me yeah. um and it feels um it feels right it just feels right now
2: um, when i talk to a lot of beauty editors especially you know some digital beauty editors They have found it challenging to figure out where beauty sits as a a conversation because of all the other news that's happening in the world. You know, Mm. like it seems like we're going to talk about
1: lipstick when there's people, you know,
2: dying here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, where do you, you know, how do you sort of reconcile those two things? Where do you see beauty fitting in?
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was just it's funny because I was on the when I was on The Daily Show, I said, I think it's irresponsible to tell teenage girls to stick to lip gloss when, you know, Donald Trump is our president and is instituting various policies that are going to negatively affect our lives, whether that's, you know, the environmental things that are happening right now or whether that's Standing Rock or the Jakarta pipeline, you know, like there's so much happening in the world. And how do we care about beauty? The truth is that you can care about both and that, honestly, your brain doesn't have a capacity to digest political news all of the time. And everyone is going to need a moment to care about themselves and take time for Mm self-preservation, especially when the news is so traumatic and when things feel like nothing is getting better and you can't make a difference. I think self-care is more important now than ever. But then the other thing is that, you know, as a gay person and as someone who was going to clubs and was viewing club kid culture, drag culture... Beauty is absolutely an act of rebellion, and it can absolutely be a revolution. In um, the way that I see drag queens interpreting beauty and using makeup as as a weapon in, in a lot of ways, or as something to subvert norms of masculinity or the male gaze, I think that those are all fascinating things. You know, so it is look, political. It can be. It's not al- not always. Not you know a lot of ways beauty is is used to to really not subvert the male gaze, but actually submit to it. And, you know, that's important to acknowledge uh, obviously as well. But I think that, you know, whether you're doing beauty to care for yourself or you're doing beauty to send a middle finger to whomever it is in the mm-hmm. presidency. Um, we, we just wrote about a college girl who launched a, a line of lip glosses called F Trump. Um, you know, you find, you find your own way to make it work for you. But I don't think that we should back away from talking about style at this time because style historically has been a reflection of our culture and beauty is absolutely a reflection of our culture.
2: Right. On this podcast, we talk a lot about this idea of the beauty imperative. This idea that women feel like they have to be attractive or that they have to at least show that they've made an effort to be attractive and that is the price of entry to show that they, you know, that, that they can be accepted by society. How do you feel about this idea? Especially right now.
0: I absolutely feel, especially from like watching the Teen Vogue audience, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like that's a that, that pressure doesn't isn't going away. And sure, even as it seems like our collective consciousness is being raised to focus more on social justice and awareness, yeah, um, I also still feel like we are constantly holding women to a higher standard in terms of their appearance than, than men. Um, and as we work in beauty and, and fashion media, Um, we need to be focusing on how we are communicating with our readers in a way, again, that's uplifting and empowering and inviting and not in a way that's prescriptive, again, or correctional.
2: Am I being naive? But I feel like, you know, I do believe that there is a beauty imperative, but I I don't I feel like it might be getting better. Like I when I just, you know, working on Teen Vogue, I feel like young women when I think about how I behaved and how I felt as a you know 15 year old I think if I were 15 now I would give less of a shit about dressing a certain way or Mm -hmm. having to you know present myself a certain way I I just feel like things are evolving change takes time I think that we are in a a much better place than we were you know 15 years ago
0: and I I hate being um cynical but i do think that there's pretty privilege and again it's like it's a matter of yeah. self self-worth but you know when i was reading at in college what i liked about what she was saying is that there's like she studied the degrees of and maybe you can help me flesh mm-hmm. this up but she did study the degrees of presentation in terms of how you were perceived in a job interview, right so like if someone came in with a moderate amount of makeup on and then she showed the pictures of mm-hmm. different women with moderate amount of makeup on and like they were, like, moderately well-dressed, but not to the point of, like, overly fussy. They were considered the most competent, like, on first appearance. And trustworthy. Yeah. And then, but then when there was the overly made-up person, so someone who may, you know, have put on too much makeup according to standards, and yeah. all of this there's is there's lots subjective. of air quotes going on, just exactly. so you know. Exactly, <laughs> yes. All of this is very subjective. Yeah. They were found to then be stupider than people with... And a, less
2: trustworthy, too. Yes.
0: Yeah. So there it's is... like
1: there's a fine line. That's, yes. I mean, yeah.
2: I mean, these are just like, yeah, they're like types that people are conditioned yeah. to seeing, you know, like the gaudy salesman or, you know, I don't know how you backpedal from that. No, right. and
0: I don't know if, I don't know if you do. The other thing is that this all comes in waves. Like Marie is our creative director, obviously. And so she worked at Jane. And so she was saying, uh, she often says a lot like, gosh, this rem- this work that we're doing at Teen Vogue reminds me so much of Jane sometimes. Mm-hmm. and
1: Like the Riot so, Girl movement in the 90s and stuff. Yes.
0: Yeah. And then... What happened from the 90s to, like, the early 2000s that, like, made that, like, Louboutin platform boom of, like, everyone wanting to be obsessed with materialism and, like, mm-hmm. the Sex in the City movies? And do you remember when that was, like, the thing? Super that glossy, all...
2: super done. Yes. Like, very outwardly materialistic.
0: Yes. And so I, I do think it's interesting that it comes yeah. in, that it does... Come in waves. We did this video with Barbie Furrow. She's a model who also happens to be plus size by our sizing standards in fashion. And Barbie invited all of her guy friends to a shoot for Teen Vogue to do a video where she asked them questions about their bodies. And so these boys oh, wow. kind of ranged in like professions and from like adjacency to the industry, and they're not in the industry or whatever. And the funny thing was, most of them said that they had never been asked these questions about their bodies before so the way that if i'm out with my girlfriends i often find that body and body analysis and body comparison happens quite frequently i found that with this group of guys that like kind of conversation had never happened before or it happened in very like limited ways mm. So when we got the chance to ask these guys about their bodies and how they felt or how they've been made to feel about their bodies, we got a range of responses from one guy who said that girls don't think he's manly because he's short or that, you know, they're judging him sexually because he's short. And so they, they're overlooking him or another boy who said he was always really like self-conscious about being too skinny and how he never felt manly because he was too skinny, so he could never be muscular and strong, and therefore he couldn't, he was kind of precluded from being masculine. And then there was another kid there who talked about how, you know, he has really big thighs, and his whole life he looked at, like, the Abercrombie posters, mm-hmm. and he just wanted to look like them, but felt like he wasn't represented there because he had big, he had a big butt and big thighs. And so... I do think men go through these journeys, but I think one of the things about body positivity and even beauty and how we talk about beauty is that men are discouraged from talking about these things, and also we are not talking to men about these things. When I say men, I do typically mean straight, cisgender men. Um, and I do find when inviting people to these conversations, mm-hmm. we open a lot of doors for us to be more honest about ourselves and, and with each other. And I think that also allows for a lot of empathy. You know, we do that with our Guys Read video series, where we invite men to tell to read stories written from a woman's perspective, and then they reflect on them. But they never would not have the chance to talk about these things if we weren't forcing them to read the right, story. They you need know, the entry point. So, Phil, how exactly. do you feel
1: about your thighs? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm trying to get mine bigger right now, actually.
1: <laughs> We do right. a lot you of don't, crossfit. You do.
2: App. You're always at the gym yeah, very early. So no, but we,
1: it doesn't come. You're right. It doesn't come up, and it's yeah. just not a conversation we have as a society that frequently. Yeah. So I mean, it's cool that you're doing that.
2: Yeah, I think guys feel like they're very like effeminate if they start talking about their right. bodies, or but it not, makes it yeah. less weird. Yeah, why wouldn't they yeah. be
1: having the same conversations women would? Yeah.
2: Um, let's talk about Allure right now. You have yes. a really massive cover.
0: Thank you, April. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Who's on the cover?
0: Jalone Mon and Amito—they're three models of color, all beautiful—and and for the accompanying story, we had 41 women of color talk about diversity and beauty uh, for the story. And and by the way, this was, this predates me, so this was the the brainchild of Marie and uh, Marie Suter, creative director Michelle Lee and and Danielle Pergament. Um, so, anyways, hats off to them for a beautiful story.
2: Um- you know, the beauty industry is definitely trying to go to a more diverse place. If you could give the industry a report card, what would you give it?
0: I don't know. A letter grade? I guess somewhere in the C's.
2: Mm. Um,
0: and I and I say that because, you know, I, I should say that there's been a lot of really positive things happening this year. Um, the True Match campaign that L'Oreal did, I really loved. And I thought that that was so exciting to see, you know, different genders represented in a wide array of of skin tones. And I think that that's really positive. Um, But I think that we have a long way to go in terms of making sure that when we're launching a foundation range, that all skin tones are included and that there we're not just delaying or never releasing the darker skin tones. I think brands need to be way more cognizant of that. Um, I also, you know, many of the conversations that brands have about aging also really bother me, I think, Mm -hmm. especially because I write, you know, predominantly for young women at Teen Vogue, and we're often talking to them about how they view themselves. Um, I find it so strange that everyone is so afraid of getting older and looking older, um, and that the age of people, you know, who are who are getting Botox is getting younger and younger. And You know, when I see these things happening, I often think if we were kinder to people as they got older and were less uh, critical of people's appearance uh, and women's appearance as they got older, I I think that we would be so much better off. So I would love to see beauty embrace a wider range of ages in in terms of their ad campaigns Mm -hmm. too. I think that's an important and overlooked thing. And then also, you know, I think I I saw a secret ad recently of a girl, of a trans girl in a bathroom um, who was undergoing like her, her own stress test of walking out of the bathroom stall Mm -hmm. and facing the cis women who are, who are outside. And I thought that was a really powerful ad. And I, you know, again, Makeup Forever with Andresia, that's a, another good example of trans inclusion, but we we do have a long way to go there. We can't get self-congratulatory where like every time something good happens, we think that we're making progress. Yeah, That's not how progress works.
1: The deodorant thing is, Interesting it brings me to my next question, because, for example, deodorant is deodorant, antiperspirant. Same ingredients work the same way. You have Secret, and the scents are Powder Fresh, Orchid (laughs) Rose, and then you have, you know, your men's deodorant, and it's like Arctic Blast and Extreme Thunder. Yes. So, but it's the same product. Right. Do you think that it would help if we didn't separate the, quote-unquote, beauty industry from the, quote-unquote, grooming industry or do you think that's a marketing construct? Or is that, like, how people want to shop? And you're, I mean, you're not, like, a, you know.
0: Like, also jumping on top of that, the way that we market sport products is yeah. all in navy and, and mm-hmm. like, gold yeah. blue with, like, bold Didn't font think and masculine yeah. font. And what are we saying to all of the female athletes out there? Like, you know you have to oh this one is sport so it's for men yeah. because it's sport you know that always has has, has irked me a lot um I, yeah i don't i think that a lot of the beauty companies probably feel like they if they market that way then they're going to make men feel more comfortable paying for their product mm-hmm. um and i remember when tom ford came out with grooming stuff and like he came out with his face mask it was like a big story that everyone was excited to write about because all of a sudden men were excited to buy a face mask you know who who were excited because it was Tom Ford releasing it but like Tom Ford already had skincare, and like yeah. what, right. what was the wait what there was, was a the...
2: men like a man's face mask what yeah. was different about it
0: it was like a it was like a clay mask okay you know just like the normal clay but they, mask like
2: how he has like brow gel and stuff there's nothing different yes. about the brow gel that for brow men.
0: gel by the way is actually awesome mm-hmm. it's very good it's very I, good
2: like, guys the really men's like or the it. women's no yes. I'm just kidding
0: it's the they're men's they're the one. same no
2: they, but they no they say like oh it's really it's good for men Men's wiry like um brow hairs. Like yeah. they say that it's tougher for men. My brow hairs are pretty wiry. They're just like my dad's. Yeah, yeah
0: I don't think yeah. that brow yeah. hairs are gendered. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Let's
2: <they're>
1: try. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's that whole pH yeah. balance thing. Has anybody ever looked? Are we differently pH balanced? Know. I'm
0: not sure. We I gotta go back on that. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of weird gender science that we're made to believe.
1: Well we can't have you come on fat mascara and not talk product. Okay. Because we got we got deep here, we had some good thoughts. But your like <laughs> inner corner highlight is like Oh my god. It's it's amazing. Oh, thanks. Let's what just, do you use to apply it? It's like so perfect.
0: I use a real techniques. Eyeshadow brush.
2: I really wanted him to, to say a pinky. Just to like, I know, I know. I was like, look, <laughs> <literally>, there's a <laughs> brush. Like, does he have a very small pinky that he just dabs? Oh,
0: no. no I just they make good
2: brushes, not expensive either. Yeah,
0: it's the I love Pixie Woo, Those girls, the the YouTubers. Mm-hmm. Um so Sam Chapman is like I've always been in love with her. So anyways, I, I use their brushes every time they send them.
1: Okay. So what <laughs> other what other products do you, do you use, like on a daily basis? On a daily basis. Tell basis some of your faves.
0: NARS Radiant Creamy Concealer is one of my favorites. Uh, RMS Living Luminizer and RMS Magic Luminizer. I love Kevin O'Quan's Candlelight, and he has like a sculpting palette that I really love. Tom Ford Shade and Illuminate is really good. You're big um, into the
1: skin, huh?
0: I'm really big into skin and, and do. Ico's Brow Gel. I also love Troy Surratt's Brow Pomade. I always love face oils. And right now, my favorite one is Lena Hansen. She has a, like a, I think it's called Revitalizing Serum. Do you know her line?
1: I don't tell us it's so
0: good it's just it, you know and I wish I knew all of the details and all the ingredients but it's just an organic serum and it's beautiful um so I love that one and she's a a makeup artist
1: Mm-hmm. we'll, we'll fact check it for you don't worry <laughs> Please fact check
0: that um
1: what about hair you just got a new haircut huh
0: I just I go to Wes at hair story he's my favorite person oh, in the world and Is I just use hair there? hair bomb, just hair story hair bomb, and I use the the new wash
1: you got the name right, too.
2: Well done. It's <laughs> and everyone's, everyone's like, you know, the thing, the one shot. the Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Thanks for coming on Fat Mascara.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, my them. God, we
1: didn't even ask him It's favorite mascara. It's fine. It's like- I don't
0: use mascara. Oh, I use Troy Surratt's eyelash curler. It's
2: time, Jen, mm-hmm. to raise a wand. I'm ready. I've been hiding mine. I like. it. Literally... Hey, what are you doing over I there? Because I want to like surprise you. It's like I'm getting a
1: present. You even have it in a box. What is it?
2: Wait, I, I wonder if it's going to make a sound. Hold on. It did. <laughs> Just heard it suctioning. Ready? Oh, it's oh, it's, it's a mascara. What is it? Wait, it's a vibrating mascara. <gasps> Jen, I thought they discontinued this, and then um, Delightful Kit from Lancome told me that I was sorely mistaken. Do you remember the vibrating mascara oscillation from Lancome?
1: No, but you yelled at me for bringing the thing that looked like a vibrator. You literally brought a vibrator.
2: It's a vibrating mascara. Why do I need that? They came out with this like a million years ago. I thought it was just like gimmicky. I thought that it was like a one-off, like, look, we make one that vibrates. Then I met with her the other day, and I was like, remember that mascara you made? I thought that was so cool. She's like, we still make it. You know, you have to like... What's what's the name of it? Oscillation. Oh. O-S-C-I-L-L-A-T-I-O-M. And you just, like, it really gets, what I like about it is it really deposits the. Do it. Let
1: me see. This is weird to me that you like this because you're always weird about your eyes and getting things near your eyes. And you literally are bringing a vibrating pokey stick near d- your eye right it now. But it just kind
2: of like, like, it's the, I think it goes like a million times. So what does it get into the roots better? Yes, exactly. Okay. And then it just kind of like shakes the lashes ever so slightly so you don't get clumps. I like it. You're literally raising wands. I'm vibrating wands. I'm literally, literally raising a vibrating wand. I just thought this thing like came back from the dead. That's great. Um, I'm I'm getting like
1: mature lady, and I'm using hand cream. (laughs) (laughs) I've never used hand cream really until so I got these new tattoos which we've all heard about. And so I've been trying to take pictures of my hands for, you know, the gram yeah. and, and things like that. And I love rings and I've been doing the paint box nails. Yeah. I know you have been at paint box an awful lot lately. It just stays on. So, but then I realized, I remember joking like 20 years ago, like, I'm not going to use hand cream or sunscreen on my hands and your hands age first and whatever. And I looked down and my hands are so red and dry. And I was just like, I need to start using hand cream. So I feel like it's like pushed yeah. me into like middle age territory. Wait, did you
2: never use hand cream?
1: No, I, I would. What say- about before bed? No, I put gloves. I wouldn't put gloves to wash dishes, like (gasps) garden dirt, hiking, whatever. Anyway, so I've been trying a bunch to see what I like. Weirdly, I tried all the famous ones that I be like, I'm really into Bobby Brown Extra Hand Cream. Not only because it comes in a fun travel size, Um, it's. The scent is what throws me off about a lot of them, because they think they're like, oh, it's a lovely scent. I'm like, I don't need a whole nother scent for my hands. Like, I have perfume. So this is just like a light lavender, but it's very creamy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it does not get slippery, because, oh my God, what's up with these hand creams? It's like you freaking in lube on your hands, and then you go to pick up your phone, and you practically drop it. <laughs> so I haven't worked my way through a lot of hand creams, but this, so far, is what I'm liking, Bobby Brown Extra. But I'm so curious. I'm going to put it on the gram. I want to hear what you guys like, since I'm new to this world of hand cream, and show <laughs> Share your favorite hand creams that I should Ooh, that's raise gonna be
2: good. a
1: want to right because I feel like people get very they get it they get into their hand cream yeah the,
2: because it has to tick all it's of polarizing. those boxes yeah. yeah the scent the finish yeah even the bottle like some of the hand creams like how am I supposed to put this in my bag like, right
1: like those metal tubes I have not been liking anyway we, we could go into this forever maybe it's another segment but raise a wand to Bobby Brown extra hand cream. We mentioned a lot of products and people and places and brands and things in this episode. So I just want to put it out there. If you want to find out where any of those things are, go to FatMascara.com. And
2: you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and at Fatmascara for both of those things. And you can also contact us directly by emailing us at info at FatMascara.com. So profesh. So profesh. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Love it.
1: and it led to a 2.9 increase in skin smoothness. I also like that they're easy to swallow. The capsules sort of taste like vanilla. They're not all weird and fishy like some other supplements. Plus, Ritual is a certified B Corp Lash mascara for 25% off.